I highly treasure. Oh, how it thrills my spirit through and through. Oh, precious name beyond degree or measure. My heart is stirred whene'er I think of you. My heart is stirred whene'er I think of Jesus. That blessed name which sets the captive free. The only name through which I find salvation. No name on earth has meant so much to me. I kind of sang that uh, because I remember my mom singing it. And my mom is going back home tomorrow, and I'm going to miss her. She's been with us for about a month. Charlotte King, it has been good to have you with us. And I'm so grateful that, that uh, God has used your life to shape mine. And uh, I am what I am because I had parents who loved Jesus. And I never had a day in my life where one of my parents, where my grandparents, where my cousins and aunts and uncles were not praying for me. And therefore, I am here today because of God's influence on my life. I told some of you a few weeks ago that it was because some boys had gone to a, to a meeting. Actually, some boys had been at Asbury Seminary and uh, had been in class and God stirred them. And they then moved out of their classroom setting and down to a little Actually, they took an old movie theater and converted it and invited people from the community. And in that invite was my grandparents. And the first day that they went, my, my dad and my grandmother went to the altar. Three days later, my grandfather went to the altar. And the rest is a family history that carries with it the promise that we talked about from the first of the four commandments that we've dealt with so far. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. And let's continue with our study. In the Ten Commandments, with uh, commandment number six. Before we get there, let me just rehash just for a minute. Remember, the children of Israel had been in Egypt, building uh, in, enslaved from the time that they went down when Joseph was sold into slavery. And then the family came down and they stayed there. And as a result... God needed to deliver them and bring them out of bondage. And so he took them out of Egypt by speaking to Moses, calling him to lead his children out. And Moses got the call at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, depending on which side you're looking at the mountain from. And he got the call down here. And so he knew when he took the children of Israel out of Egypt that he needed to bring them back to where he got the call. If you ever forget where you are, Go back to where God spoke. If you ever forget what road you're on, if you ever forget 
where you're headed, if you ever forget what God has done or where you are supposed to be, go back to where it began. I promise you, he will meet you there. And when the children of Israel got back to this spot where God had met Moses, you remember what happened. 1.5 million of the people were there in that general area around the mountain. And, and Moses went up to the mountain and God spoke to Moses said, go back, tell the people to get ready. I'm going to speak to them. Three days, you purify yourselves. You, do, you wash your body, you wash your clothes, you prepare yourself to enter into the presence of the Most High God. You abstain from sexual relationships, you abstain from anything that looks or feels like sin. Because you're going to be going into the presence of God. And then God said, don't let them touch the mountain. Hold them back and I'm going to speak. And so you remember the story, the fire the smoke billowing off of the mountain. The mountain is rumbling and all of a sudden that shofar starts to blow and and it was so loud and it was scaring people. And Moses starts walking toward the mountain. And the people walk toward the mountain with Moses. And when they get to the mountain, the shofar stops, Moses stops, the people stop and God said, I am the Lord. The God, your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods. Now the term here is used before me, but in that culture what happened was People had multiple gods that they worshipped all around them. There were, there were gods of this and gods of that. And your primary god would be the god you worship. But often you would bring in a secondary god. For instance, a husband and wife. Maybe he didn't come from the same culture. He would bring his god in. And then her god would be brought in to be beside it. And, and God said, uh-uh. Just one. There is one god. And I alone am God, and I alone shall you worship, shall you serve. There will be no other gods in my presence. And we talked about how every other God is a created God. He alone was the uncreated one. We find that Israel had become very accustomed to knowing that he was one. From the thing that begins all of their ceremonies, all of the time, is the way they call one another into the worship setting. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. No, no, no other option. Let me just tell you something. If you, if you are not convinced of that, you need to go back and find out that for sure. If you have a doubt... That God is the only God, the one true God, the God who deserves to be worshipped. Then you need to go back and begin to investigate your life. We live in a world today. Matter of fact, we live in a, in a nation today where there are many gods. And as a matter of fact, the one true God is the one that the government most opposes our worship. 
They permit worship of all kinds of other gods and other things. But the one true God is kind of pushed aside. Or at least if you worship him, he has to be in the presence of other gods. Can I tell you something? One day. One day. In one motion. All will be stripped away. Because every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. He is God. And Jesus Christ, his son, is Lord with him. And will remain with him forever. We find that was the first one. There is one God. Move on to the next screen for me, Ted. He alone is God. He is one in deity. And he must be number one in our lives. The second command was, you shall not make for yourself any image. And I'm not going to go into all the detail except to tell you that an image starts up here. So it doesn't just have to do with you shall not make for yourself any little image to carry with you to put on the front of your car dash or to put as a hood ornament on your car. That's not what he's talking about. The image of God, the thing that we worship, whether it is a dream or an idea or a thought or a desire that overtakes us is still an image that must be destroyed. No other images. No other gods. No images of gods. And then the third one. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord our God. And I told you before that in the Hebrew tradition, they didn't even spell the full name of God. It was just letters that indicated what that name might be. They didn't speak the name in public. You can read today Hebrews uh, who, who are scholars as they're writing even the term for God, G-O-D, in English. They will write G-D. And the reason they do it is they don't want to use God's name in vain. We live in a world today that uses God's name and the name of Jesus Christ so loosely, so frivolously, commonly. He's not a common God. Never has been, never will be. He is the God. Treat him with respect. And number four, remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Now, this is a very important commandment. I'm not detracting from it. But I do want to say that this commandment was contorted by the Hebrew people. So that when it came to the New Testament, Jesus didn't have to reinforce how important the Sabbath was for the people. He had to reinforce the fact that the people were not made for the Sabbath, but that the Sabbath was made for the people. We blow it. We get consumed with doing things to quote unquote honor it, and we miss the whole idea. Sabbath is about rest. Sabbath is about worship. Sabbath is about taking time to reboot and let God speak to our hearts. 
It is the only commandment that is not directly quoted in the New Testament. Of the ten. Jesus refers to it, but he doesn't refer to the commandment as much as he refers to the laws around the commandment. Because they built 39 other laws around remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now we get into the fifth commandment. You all know that these that we don't we don't know how they were organized, right? We know this is how God spoke them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But God later wrote them down on two tablets. We know there were ten commandments. We know there were two tablets. Whether he put one on one and nine on the other or two and eight, we don't know. But as we look at it, it was probably either four and six because the first four deal with our relationship up here. And the next six deal with our relationship out here. But I tend to think it was probably five and five. Let me tell you why. Because the fifth commandment is this. Honor your father and your mother. Who is the first image of God that you ever know? Mom and dad. They're the ones who teach you who God is. In this culture specifically, it was a a tradition that was passed down from father to son, from mother to son, from mother to daughter. It It was a generational passing. And you remember how he talked about if God was put first, that he would bless them thousands of generations in the future. He also said, if you don't put me first... The curse will go to the third and the fourth generation. Here's the first one as interpreted in the New Testament as the first one with promise. He says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Live long. There you go, Thelma. Live long. I don't know that I'll make it to where Thelma is. 92, 93. 93. That's a long time. I don't know that I don't know that my body's going to make it. I'm not sure I want to make it that long. I may be falling apart, but here's what he says. For those who obey, who honor their mother. By the way, the term honor carries three things with it. The first thing that it carries with it is that you listen to your parents. The second part is that you obey your parents in the Lord. And the third one is that you submit to their authority. You want to know why I think this belongs in the first five? Because it's the same exact pattern that God asks us to do with Him. Listen to Him. Obey Him. Submit to His authority. You see, the parents were the ones that take us from our relationship with the world around us, this little itty-bitty world, and bring us to the place where we understand there is a God with which to have a relation. And there is a world in which we should have a relational connection. Listen. Obey. And submit. 
Now let me, let me pull it back and look at it from the other side of the cloth, the underside of the tapestry. Parents, you have a responsibility to teach your children God's ways. How can your children honor you if you are not honoring others? Amen, Roz. If you don't show honor and respect for your own parents, then your children probably aren't going to be showing you respect and honor. If you're not obeying your father, who is in heaven, how do you think your children will ever obey their father, which is in heaven? If you aren't submissive to your parents, how do you expect your children to be submissive to you? You see, there's, there's a dual role, both as a child and as a parent. We have a responsibility to create this relationship and carry it through to the next step. Honor. Respect. Paul talks about it in Ephesians. He, he tells us that we have to respect one another. And it's the foundational principle before we get to the marriage the love chapter, the one we talk about how a husband and wife should be connected to, to one another. How a wife should respect her husband and how a husband should love his wife. And in that relationship, it can't even get a connection if we don't begin by respecting one another. We live in a society where it's okay to interrupt because my plans... My desires are more important than what you're doing. I have something that's more important than you talking to your neighbor. Right? I mean, that's the society's idea. Sometimes I just want to say, excuse me? But we've trained our children this way. So how can we expect anything different? Some of you will notice... For children. And, and then, get this. We all make mistakes. I interrupt from time to time. And I get called down for it from time to time. And I deserve it. Sometimes kids will come up. And I love the kids in our church. I love having a relationship with them. I love to hug them. I love to see their pictures. I love to have that relationship with them. Because I'm also as their pastor teaching them who the father is. You, as a member of this church, are teaching them who the Father is by your relationship with them. And so here these children are. They're wanting to come up. They're wanting to hug me. They're wanting to... And I may be talking to Bob. Right? And the kid comes up and he's... Pastor! 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 Right? Just a minute. I'm teaching him the concept of respect. I'm not telling him no. I'm grateful. Most of you parents are doing this, and I, I appreciate that. You know, there are times I have to do it to the adults. And they don't always come up and go, Pactor, Pactor, but I'll be talking to somebody and they'll come over and, you know, spin me around so that I can meet somebody that's here or dealing with them. And, I, and sometimes I have to say, right? Respect, honor, learning, 
teaching them, obeying them. It's what God says is our responsibility. Honor our father and mother because our days will be long. There are two positive commandments, eight negatives. The two are back to back. One is remember the Sabbath, take your rest. The second, honor your father and mother. Woohoo! Two good things to stop and take a look at. Both of them very important for us. And then he springs to number six. In number six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all of them can be put basically into a two-word category. No. Something else. Right? So number six, no murder. You know what Jesus said about murder? Do you know what Jesus said about adultery? That if you do it in your heart, you're just as guilty as you've done it with your hands. We live in a society where men are taken to court for hitting geese. And men are applauded for taking the lives of unborn babies. No murder. The term could be used no killing, but there were justifiable killings. The killings that happened when they went to war and were defending their their rights, were God-given rights, it was okay. God sent them in and sometimes said, utterly destroy them. Now, I don't grasp all of the whys and wherefores. On some of these people, he said, utterly destroy them. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, donkeys, horses. Everything in there needs to be completely wiped out. Don't ask me why some were different than others. In some of those villages, he said, go in. And anybody below the age of this, you can let live. Anybody above this age, you have to destroy. But he didn't just say that one. He gave the right for a property owner when somebody was entering his house to destroy him, to rob him, to do damage to his family. He gave him the right to overcome them. And if they were to be killed, it was not the fault of the property owner. It was the person who was trying to break in and steal. But there's one even further than that. The person who committed adultery was to be brought before the city council. The accusation made, and if it stuck, they were to be stoned. But at the same time, no murder. Not even up here. Not even the hatred, the frustration, the anger against someone who may be a horrible person, who may be somebody who's an abuser, somebody who's destructive, somebody who's a bad, bad person. But we cannot destroy them in our own minds, in our own hearts. We have to 
Love them because God may have a plan for their lives that goes far beyond anything we could comprehend or understand. Second one was do not commit adultery. Now, this has to do with the sanctity of a marriage relationship. It did not occur in the Ten Commandments For a necessity to include something about homosexuality or bestiality. Now later on, God addressed those things. But in this, directly to the people, he was trying to tell them that your family, your husband and wife relationship is important. More than that, even a step further other than your marriage relationship... The fact that your family is protected and guarded for future generations. Did you know that if for some reason your family, your wife was to commit adultery and you brought the child into the house, he then became an heir with the rest of the children? And God said, I don't want that happening. Now, in those days, there were more than one wife per husband. In many cases, a husband would have as many wives as he could support. That would pretty much regulate mine to one wife, wouldn't it? But the idea was that even if there were multiple wives, the fact of committing adultery was not permitted for the woman or for the man. You shall not commit adultery. And it was viewed really strongly. And, and, and the idea was put there so that the penalty for that would be death. Pretty intense, right? Number eight. You shall not steal. <laughs> What's that mean? Well, I shouldn't go into a store and pick up something that's worth more than whatever and stick it in my bag and walk out without paying for it. Well, you're right, you shouldn't. But you also shouldn't take that which does not belong to you or take from someone else something that is theirs. Like their reputation. Yes. Maybe it is true. That that person has done this. Or been this way. But why should you have a right to walk around and broadcast that to the rest of the world? So that you can take away anything that they may have. Can I tell you something? All of the violation of these commandments... Put us in a position of Godhood. We judge that we can do this because we have the right. And we don't have the right. Personal property was very, very important to the Hebrew people. 
You didn't take what did not belong to you unless God said it is yours in the spoils of war. You know, there are cultures even today that so are so horribly offended by the theft of personal property that they'll cut your hand off for taking it. I was a missionary in, in Peru and Bolivia, but in, the, in, those, in those cultures, in the Indian cultures back in the, the jungles of Peru, you could take your wallet out of your pocket, sit down, sit down on a stump, put your wallet beside you, eat your food, and then get up and go on down wherever it was that you were going. And when you came back, your wallet would be sitting where you left it. Do you know why? Because that culture so reinforced the idea that personal property was not to be taken. Now, community property was there for whoever needed it. There were bananas that were grown in those jungles that belonged to anybody who wanted to go cut them down. Harvest them. Somebody needed a tree, you'd go to the community property and you cut down a tree. But you didn't go into somebody else's yard and cut it down. See what I'm saying? Don't take what's not yours. Some of us kind of take a little time from our boss. Well, technically, I'm working. But the truth of the matter is, everybody does it. It's okay. I'm just going to be gone for about 45 minutes. Not hurting anybody. That time doesn't belong to you. Now, if your boss tells you, yes, you may take off and go take care of that and return, that's a whole different story. But if you take what's not yours, borrow without asking, with no intention of returning, that's stealing. Some of you still are learning the process that God has asked us to set aside a tenth that he says belongs to him from the first fruit of our increase. You know what he tells them in scripture? If you aren't giving your tithe, you're robbing God. Don't steal. No stealing. Number nine. No lying. It really isn't a lie, Pastor. Right. If you have to start the statement off that way, you know that you violated this command. When you tell something that isn't true, or you retell something that you know not to be truth, you are lying. When you destroy a person's reputation and it wasn't true, have to stand before God. Now this, this 
commandment was given in context of the law. It was given in context of court. And it was meant to be where somebody would come into court and you would say to them, um, yeah, that guy did that. And if he didn't do it, you were lying. And he says, don't do that. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Or if some somebody did something and you knew they did it, and you said, no, he didn't do it, you were also bearing false witness. But did you know that in the Hebrew tradition, the person who knew something to be true but didn't stand up for the truth was as guilty as the person who directly lied about it? Y'all are quiet this morning. I don't know if it's a 4th of July or I'm just on a different range or what's going on. Y'all are awful quiet. I hear Rose over there going, yes, 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 that's right. But everybody else is kind of sitting there and I'm like, woo, did the, is the temperature up a little bit too warm in here? Just listening, I got it. You know what? Lying is wrong. You know it. We know it in the pit of our our stomachs. We know it when, it when it happens. We know it instinctively. Y'all seen the America's Funniest Videos where the kid is told to clean his plate and he says, okay. His mama walks out of the room and he goes over to the garbage can and he scrapes the stuff in there and he goes up the sink and he puts his... He's getting ready to put his plate in the sink and he looks up and his mom's there with the camera taking a picture of him and he goes, <gasps> He was lying. He was pretending something that wasn't true. And he got caught in the act and his the, the very center of his being. He, he was not so upset about the fact that he had done what he wasn't supposed to do. He was upset about being caught in the middle of a lie. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably assuming that most of us over the course of our life from children on through have been caught in a lie. Sometimes... We take something that we're supposed to take responsibility for and we blame it on somebody else. You know, that's a lie. It is. You shall not give false testimony. No lying. And then number 10, you shall not covet. Do you know what the term covet means? Want it. Desire it. I need that. Why do they get it and I don't? I mean, we may not be saying that out loud, but in our hearts, we're feeling that toward God. Did you know that's covetousness? Of all the commandments, this seems to be the most minuscule. It's like, how did that make the list? And yet... It is probably the most violated one on the list. Don't covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his servants, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't say, I want that. Because you know what? Covetousness leads to idolatry. 
We make that image in our brain that says, ooh, if I just had that, I'd be happy. If I just had that, things would be so wonderful. If I just... It's not what it's supposed to be. When God had finished speaking, the people said to Moses, we don't want God talking to us again. I know we came to hear him. I know we came to the bottom of the mountain. And I know it's special for us to be in the presence of God. But we'd much rather you, Moses, go talk to God. And come back and tell us what he said. That's okay. We'll do what he says. Just don't. This whole being in the presence of that's scary. I don't want to do it. You know, the reality is. Those 1.5 million people that were standing there in the presence of God probably were convicted when God began to say these things because God brought something up to their mind about this one. And God brought something up to their mind about that one. And God brought something to their mind about that one. And so their hearts were condemned. And rather than falling on their faces before the Most High God, they said, we don't want Him talking to us like that. You know what God said? Build me an altar. (laughs) He lists these ten things. He said, none of you should do these things. You should be obeying these things. These These are my heart. This is the desire of my heart. And the people said... We're, we're, we're convicted, we're offended, we don't want to do that. And God said, build me an altar because I can take the sins that you have committed and I can wash them clean. Offer the sacrifices, the blood of bulls and of goats. I will wash away your sin preveniently until the perfect sacrifice can come. And he has come We live in a day of grace, but you know what? All of these commandments are still our responsibility. And maybe as we were talking about these commands, maybe some of you were convicted in your heart about something. Maybe the Lord spoke to you. Maybe He said something directly about something that you should have been doing and haven't been done, haven't been doing, or or that you have done that you shouldn't have done. Or maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a spirit with which you have approached Him. Maybe you've said, I really don't want to hear God talking. I don't mind going to church and hearing what pastor says about God saying, but I don't want to listen to God because it, it's, it's hard on me. Uh-huh. I got it. He says, build me an altar. I tell you this morning, if God has convicted you, if God has spoken to you, you ought to come to the altar. Yesterday was Independence Day. And as I look at these ten and look at my country, I weep. And I realize that we are going to have to stand before God and give an account, not just individually, but as a whole country, of the decisions that we have made. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take this back over and I'm going to put it up. I'm going to put it to the side.
And then I'm going to start to pray this morning. And as I begin to pray...